the character of God, communicable attributes we've been talking about. And um, so uh, here's the schedule. Today we'll talk about God's invisibility. Can you see God? Or not? The Bible seems to talk about that in two different ways. We'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. And then uh, God's knowledge and wisdom. Um, and then next week, truthfulness, faithfulness, goodness, and love. May 14th, Bob, I don't know if we have a guest teacher lined up for May 14th. Gil Kroll on the Da Vinci Code. Oh, that should be really good. Um, and then um, I believe, although I think it's 98% settled, I'm not quite sure, it might be me on May 21st, uh, I plan to be here, but um, Randall McCauley, who taught our class a year, year and a half ago, he, uh, uh, he's Francis Schaeffer's son-in-law, He's the was the head of Labrie in, Switz, in uh, England for a number of years, and now he runs this uh, Cambridge uh, Apologetics and uh, Evangelism Center in Cambridge, England, so he will be here on uh, May 21st. And uh, then we'll go on May 28th on more of God's attributes, and uh, in June, more attributes of God until uh, we get through uh, the list probably in the middle of June sometime. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how that'll go. And one more announcement. Um, I, I <clears throat> See, I get these PowerPoints together, and then it's about 10 at night, and then I think, I need to give a handout for the class so everybody can follow along with these outlines. So the 10 pages of notes has to go down to two pages, so it's a lot of shrinking, condensing, and things. And I bring it, and Garth does the photocopying, hand it out. And I was, I was about a half hour into that uh, yesterday, uh, late afternoon, and I thought, um, you know, <laughs> I'm just typing my book all over again. So uh, here's the announcement. Uh, <laughs> I don't think we're going to do any more handouts. You can buy this book if you want to. <laughs> it's all in there. No, when I was doing the ethics stuff, that was unpublished. It was new stuff, and I did the handouts so you'd have kind of a takeaway. Um, but uh, <laughs> I think we're going to survive without handouts for a while. I hope you don't mind, but... Um, that was a kind of as we're hitting a point in life where I'm trying to cut down a number of time commitments, and I thought, hey, here's one, maybe. Uh, so, if there's a, anybody wants to object to that or talk to me about it, go ahead. Uh, anyway, I think that's that's what we can do. Okay, here's where we are: uh, attributes describing God's being. Ser seriously, on those handouts. If that's really, uh, you know, if it's really helpful to you and you really need it. Uh, we might be able to work out something. Uh, Trent talked to me about some other idea, but uh, maybe not. Okay, attributes describing God's being. We did this last uh, last time we met together, as before Easter. Uh, God's spirituality mean that, means that God exists as a being that is not made of any matter, has no parts or dimensions, is unable to be perceived by our bodily senses, and is more excellent than any other kind of existence. God is spirit. So it means that God isn't limited to any size or space. or he, He's everywhere present, but, um, but he's not a, a physical or material being. He, he, he is in a kind of existence that is hard for us to understand. It's easier for us to, to say what he isn't than what he is. But uh, when Jesus talks about God's being, he says, uh, God is spirit. And that's what we talked about last time. 
Now, related to the idea of God as spirit is God's invisibility. Um, and here I'm going to start out again with a definition. God's invisibility means that God's total essence, all of his spiritual being, will never be able to be seen by us. Yet, God still shows himself to us through visible created things. And so, um, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you here and say, I'm not sure I really understand how to put together all the Bible teachings on this, because there are Bible teachings on not being able to see God, and then there are Bible teachings on people seeing God in some sense. So here, we'll go with the verses and see uh, and see where we end up. Um, <clears throat> John 1.18, no one has ever seen God. Now look, this is in the context of John knowing the Old Testament, uh, knowing that Moses spoke to God face to face, Jacob wrestled with with the angel who turned out to be uh, God, and he said, I've seen God face to face and I've lived. There are places where people talked about seeing God face to face. John had heard Jesus say, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And yet John could say no one has ever seen God. The only God who's at the Father's side, I think, this means God the Father, and I think this means God the Son, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Um, well, what does that mean? Or John 6:46, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. First uh, Timothy 1:17, to the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That, that makes sense. If God is spirit, he's not any material thing, any physical thing. Of course, he would be invisible because you can't see something that's not physical or material. If God's being isn't confined to any place but is everywhere present, how could you see the being of God? If he is not made of any matter or any size or dimensions, he just is, then how, how could you see the being of God? You couldn't. It isn't anything that is able to be seen. And then uh, 1 Timothy 6.16, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be the honor and, or, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Now, again, this is written by Paul who knew the Old Testament. Knew that God spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Um, so how do we understand this? Um, my best... My best uh, attempt at that right now is to say God's, God's total, his, his total spiritual being can't be seen by us. I'll go back to that definition. Um, he's, uh, his total essence, all of his spiritual being, will never be able to be seen by us. Yet he shows himself to us through visible created things, and particularly when we get these pictures of God in the book of Revelation, it's just multicolored light that is emanating from God's throne. So, so um, he dwells in unapproachable light. But I think that light is not God himself. That's the created brightness that he has made to be around uh, the place where he especially manifests his presence. So God is invisible. But then what about these verses? <clears throat> the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. What does that mean? God, Moses would go into the tent of meeting or the tabernacle <clears throat> and uh, he would meet there and speak with God. What did Moses see? I think the face-to-face -face doesn't mean 
that Moses saw something like a human face. I think it means that as Moses was there in the tent of meeting, that God's presence was there, and face-to-face was an expression for being in the very immediate presence of God. Because here, uh, this is Exodus 33.11, but Exodus 33.20, same chapter, you cannot see my face, God said to Moses, for man shall not see me and live. So, okay, the Lord spoke to Moses face to face, but he said, you cannot see my face. So face to face here must be a figure of speech for very personal, close, intimate, immediate being in the presence of God and conversing with God. So then uh, the Lord said uh, he would allow Moses to see something of him. The Lord said, Behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by you, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. But see, also God's glory is this created light, this bright light that surrounds the presence of God, and that is what will pass by Moses. I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by, then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. What is that? I guess it's speaking in human terms of something that's hard to speak about. Uh, the, the, the spiritual being of God uh, with my hand, uh, my back, that is just a, a glimpse of who God is, something of him, um, but not God's total being. So God shows us something of himself or some representation of himself through visible created things. Hmm. What happened? Don't know. Oh, you didn't know anything happened. See, the secret is there's a screen back up there that I'm reading from that has all these slides on it, and it went blank. So I thought everything went blank. Okay, God shows something of himself through visible created things. So uh, here's the story of Jacob wrestling with the angel, and Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. Why is it that you ask me my name? And he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying... Um, where I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Um, uh, Penile, uh, the face of God. So he says, I've seen God face to face. There's something of being in the very presence of God and seeing some brightness, some light that, that is a kind of a manifestation of God's presence. Um, and uh, actually, the people of Israel saw something that was... Uh, representing the presence of God, but it was a created thing. The Lord went before them in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire, when darkness came, then that pillar of cloud was seen to be just a bright uh, fire and to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So there's a bright shining presence surrounding uh, the, the manifestation of God's presence. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long uh, with you so long and you do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So in a way then, not only the light that surrounded God's presence was a manifestation of God, but also Jesus coming and living among us as a man, as a human being, that he, when, when people saw him, they saw the character of God, though they didn't really see the spiritual being of God. They saw 
the um, human uh, body of Jesus. And then Jesus is also the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So in a way, Jesus coming then is the way that God um, showed his presence to us in a way that was human, that we could understand, though again, Jesus' body, his physical body, was not the spiritual being of God. We look forward to something that has been called in the history of theology, something that has been called the beatific vision. The beatific vision, the Latin word beatus means blessed, and the verb facare means to make. And so this is the vision that makes blessed, the vision that makes you blessed or happy or a recipient of blessing. Um, uh, and the beatific vision, then, is a vision of God himself. And when people throughout history have thought of the teachings of the Bible, they've thought, you know, what is it that we look forward to? Do we look forward to getting a resurrection body when we won't have uh, aging and weakness anymore and sickness? Oh, that's good. Do we look forward to the reunion with loved ones who have died and gone before us uh, into heaven? Yes, we do look forward to that. Do we look forward to the heavenly city and uh, the amazing um, place that the Lord has prepared for us? We surely look forward to that and being in the presence of uh, angels and saints who have gone before and worshiping God. We look forward to that. I think we look forward to actually a whole range of activities of developing the creation and making it more useful for us and uh, enjoying the excellence of God's creation for all eternity in the new heavens and new earth. We look forward to all of that and all these images of the heavenly city and seeing the angelic beings around God's throne and all but more important than all of that is to be in the presence of God. And this idea of a beatific vision is the idea of seeing God himself, and that will really be the culmination of what our heart longs for. You know, what, what do you long for more than anything else? I think God has made us so that when, if we just get all the clutter out of our lives and just have our minds at peace, what do we really long for? We long to be with God. We long to be in his presence in a way that he delights in us and approves of us and uh, welcomes us as his sons and daughters. And, uh, you know, these promises, I will be their God and they will be my people. The promise that the dwelling of God is with men and he shall dwell among them, that we will be in the presence of God. And what is it to be at the presence of God and just looking around at everything else? No, to be in the presence of God and looking at him, to see him. And so here's the promise. No longer will there be, <clears throat> in Revelation 22, a picture of the New Jerusalem, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. His name will be on their foreheads. If the name is the character of God, all that uh, is known about the, uh, the nature of God, then... Whatever that means, that means when we look at each other, we'll see the character of God um, reflected in uh, our expression, in our face, in uh, who we are, in a way on our forehead. I don't know if it's literally written on, it says belongs to the Lord or the Lord's, or if it just means that all of God's character, probably more of that, that that will be reflected in who we are and who we see in each other, but then we will see the face of God. 
Oh my goodness, what will that be? And what will he, what will be his expression as he looks at you? Hmm. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We will see his face. We will see him as he is. So this vision of God will be the culmination of our longing to see and to know God. It will give us more joy and fulfillment than we can imagine. Blessed are the pure in heart, says Jesus, for they shall see God. For they shall see God. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God is invisible, but in some way in the age to come he'll make enough of himself visible so that the Bible says we will see his face. I don't fully understand that. I don't fully understand how it is that he can be invisible, he can be spirit, yet we shall see his face, we shall see some, some genuine manifestation of him. So questions on the invisibility of God, <clears throat> which is just another attribute that we've been talking about. Do you, do you like it? Well, let's just stop there for a minute. Do you like it that God is invisible? <laughs> um, hmm. And do you think this is a good thing? Um, and I know who you are now. You're with Send, and I forgot your first name. Ed, yeah. Speak to the theophanies of the Old Testament. Ah. When the three men came to Abraham, right. down to Sodom, and yep. one stayed and talked with Abraham, and Abraham is in a dialogue with God. Yes. Theophanies in the Old Testament, where God appears in human form, as with Abraham, and there are some other cases like that, where God appears in human form. I, with Jacob wrestling with the angel again, it turns out that it was the Lord. I think this was God temporarily taking on a human form. Perhaps God the Son would be the one who would be appropriate for that. Um, not absolutely sure, but likely. And not in a permanent union as it was when he came to earth as a man and took a human nature forever to himself, but just a temporarily, just temporarily assume, assuming a human form. I just don't know that I know anything more about it than that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like it that God is invisible? Joyce, you're going like this. <laughs> I wouldn't want him to be like other beings. Yeah, I think that's the key. I wouldn't like him to be like human beings. See, if God is visible, and um, then he's limited. Then he's finite, isn't he? He's one place, one time. He's got limited strength, limited you know, presence. Uh, if, he's, if, he, if he's a physical, material being, um, then you don't have the infinite God who... Uh, is omnipotent and eternal and omnipresent. Uh, so I think, I think we should, although in a way that's something that's always a little bit of a challenge for us, remembering the presence of God when we don't see the presence of God, isn't it? That's kind of so much of the Christian life is, oh, I'm out, I'm out at what's a desert, uh, desert view, desert ridge, shopping, and, and I'm going to this store and that. Oh, wait a minute, I forgot about God. You know, isn't that the way life goes? You're driving down the 101 and, oh, wait a minute, God is here. 
And his invisibility means that there's a, always a challenge for us to remember his presence. Uh, but, it's, but he's there. And for some reason, he's set up the world to work in such a way that that's, that's the way it is in this age anyway. Joyce? Well, it also requires praying for it to believe that he is just looking at yeah, there is something related to that. When God is invisible, then there is this exercise of faith, trusting in him when we don't see him. Um, faith is the assurance of things not seen, the, the, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, and in Hebrews 11, 1, however it's translated. Um, but there is this uh, faith element of trusting in God when we don't see him. I understand that. Yeah, Gene? Well, it's a positive benefit, too, in considering uh, relations with other people, particularly other races. Mm -hmm. If somehow we had an image, I think it would confuse our ability to see Christ or God in that other person. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think Good. it's to our advantage. Good. Ah, multiple uh, racial and ethnic, but uh, different backgrounds. If 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 God were only looked like one of us, then the others of us wouldn't. We wouldn't as easily see God in everybody else. But as it is, uh, God is spirit, and we see God in all different races and backgrounds of people. Yeah, yeah. Laverne. In the Lord's prayer, it says, "On earth as in heaven." Yeah. It's more or less that we're supposed to be living in the invisible world instead of the physical visible world. Um, well, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think that means God's will be done, <clears throat> may your will be done. It's a request that people would obey God, tell the truth, be faithful, be kind and loving, be merciful to each other, be fair and just, obey God's will on earth as they do in heaven where everybody obeys it. Um, yeah, I think, um, well, there, I think we should have a sense of the spiritual dimensions of what's going on all the time and, and the presence of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I guess the application of that is there is an invisible part to you and to me, isn't there? And so uh, when we're caring for people, interacting for people, it isn't just the material. There's a there's a spiritual component that's always active and there and present. And, and part of growing in Christian maturity may be growing in sensitivity to the spiritual component of, of people's lives and being aware of that. Okay, um, so I think we should, although... I know that that's kind of a, a challenge in the Christian life that we have to say, well, we're, we're, we're praying to, we're trusting, we're talking to someone who's invisible, yet we believe he hears us, but um, we really wouldn't want it any other way because uh, it would limit God if he were just all visible. Yeah, Susie? I think that visibility causes a longing in our hearts to see that which we don't yet see. Ah, yeah. We hope for what we do not see. Yeah. Good. God's invisibility causes a longing in our hearts to see that which we don't yet see. I think that's good, Susie, too. Yeah. yeah. We long because there's yet more to come. Now, what do you think it will be like to see God face to face? How will he look at you? Hmm. Sandy. Oh, I just, yeah, I just, I, I think of this. I think of this often, and um. I think I will fall prostrate, flat mm -hmm. on my face, mm -hmm. overcome with joy and awe. And the look on his face, for years and years, I, Wayne, I thought the look on his face would be like, oh, Sandy, Sandy. Um, I had expected so much more. 
But I know that the look on his face will reflect his character, not mine. Mm -hmm. And the look on his face will be one of infinite love and joy because I'll be clothed in the righteousness yeah. of Christ. Yeah, good. I'm not going to remember all that to get on the tape here, Sandy, but um, you, for years you had thought, oh, it might be a look of, oh, Sandy, I'd expected so much more of you. That <laughs> and I know there's a little bit of that in our hearts. So, but but I, honestly, I think it's going to be a time of just unbelievable joy. Uh, as the Lord looks at us and we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, our sins are forgiven, we have no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, we have no anxiety of coming into the presence of God with, uh, with fear, but we enter boldly into his presence, and I think he will look at all of us who have believed in Jesus with uh, a look of, I welcome you, welcome home, <clears throat> welcome to your eternal kingdom, welcome enter into the joy of heaven, welcome into my presence, you are my son, you are my daughter, I have unbelievably good things for you, and uh, you will be here forever in my presence, and, uh, and uh, I think you will look with so much uh, love and joy and and a sense of delight in all that has become of you because of all that he's already done in you. And uh, the, the changes that he's brought in your life, I think it will be a time of just <sighs> unbelievable uh, sense of being, um, being welcomed by the creator of the universe into fellowship with him. Uh, it will be the fulfillment of uh, the longings of our heart, and we'll see in his face all the excellence of his character and just be overwhelmed with the um, excellence and, and um, beauty and wonder of all that he is, uh, in some way represented in, I don't know, uh, you know what it means that we'll see his face, um, how much different it will be from what Moses saw when he spoke to God face to face, I don't think that God really has a physical face, but there'll be some manifestation of God that it'll be see, it'll be said to be seeing seeing His face, and He'll and uh, we'll see maybe with new eyes um, something of His, maybe even something of His spiritual essence, not the the whole of it because it's infinite. I'm really not sure, but it will be unbelievably wonderful and the culmination of all all that we've longed for. So God is invisible, but he shows himself to us in visible, created things, and uh, we'll do so more at a time yet to come. There's this old hymn. I don't think... Does anybody know this? Anybody? The dawn of heaven breaks. No, only one or two people know this. I'm not going to try to sing it. But here, I'll just read it. It's, um, it's a beautiful uh, poem about uh, looking forward to heaven. The sands of time are sinking. Well, it's a picture of sand coming through an hourglass, right? And you can see the sand just kind of, okay. Uh, the dawn of heaven breaks the summer morn. I've sighed for. The fair, sweet morn awakes. Dark, dark hath been the midnight, but day spring is at hand. And, and glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. That's reflecting this idea that 
the glory of the Lord is the bright light that surrounds the presence of God. It's what appeared in the pillar of cloud by night and pillar of fire by day. It's what appeared to the shepherds in the angel, uh, when they were out in the field in Jerusalem, uh, outside Bethlehem when Jesus was born. The glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. It's the bright light that surrounded Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when he became just dazzling white because of that bright cloud of God's glory. And glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land because the book of Revelation says you don't need any light in the heavenly city because the glory of God fills it. And there's the brightness of the presence of God that fills that city. So uh, this poet is, uh, I think her name is Anne Cousins, I'm not sure. She's looking forward to this time when glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. That's where she wants to go, the summer morn I've sighed for. O Christ, he is the fountain, the deep, sweet well of love. The streams of earth I've tasted <clears throat> more deep. <clears throat> I'll drink above. There to an ocean fullness his mercy doth expand, and glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. The king, there in his beauty, without a veil is seen. It were a well-spent journey, though seven deaths lay between. The lamb with his fair army doth on Mount Zion stand, and glory, Glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. And that is an image of a wedding. The bride, the bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my king of grace. Not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand. The lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. Beautiful, beautiful song. I don't know if we can try to sing this with only three of us knowing it. <laughs> is there a piano in this room? See, I've got the music there, but it's not. Uh... I think we'll go on. <laughs> Knowledge of God. God fully knows himself. Yes, all right, that makes sense. You know yourself, somewhat anyway. God fully knows himself and all things actual and possible in one simple and eternal act. Well, what does that mean? He knows himself. He's perfect in knowledge. Job 37, 16. Do you know the balancings of the clouds, the wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? 1 John 3, 20. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. That's a, a statement of it's kind of an unqualified statement. God knows everything. Other passages like this. Here's about God knowing himself. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. The Holy Spirit searching out all the depths of, of the being of God, knowing everything about God. The Holy Spirit, of course, being himself fully God. So no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And then, uh, now we break this down <clears throat> into God knows <clears throat> all actual things. That is, things that have happened or things that will happen. And so Hebrews 4.13, And no creature is hidden from his sight. There's this idea of everything that God has made, he knows it exhaustively. 
No creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Uh, just kind of maybe a little echo back to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves, hide themselves, and of course, that was futile. Matthew 6, 8, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. He knows what you need before you ask him. So there's, he knows the individual details of your life. What do you need this afternoon? He knows. What do you need at different relationships or other kinds of needs? God knows. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. I knew I was going to get to this verse. <laughs> and uh, not too big a challenge with some of us, but with others it's a challenge because there's a lot. Uh, but that's just, a, again, a figurative way of saying the detail, just the kind of the, the very tiny details of your life that you would think are too many to count, too hard to count, that uh, God knows them. The hairs of your head are all numbered. Um, oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me, says David. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. So he's saying... Not only do you know my actions, when I sit down, when I rise up, when I walk here, when I walk there, when I ride a horse here, or when I chop wood, I know all these things. Not only do I know these things, you know these things, but God, you even know my thoughts. You discern my thoughts from afar. In another place in Psalm 139, even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it all together. So God even knows the words you're going to say before you say those words. Great knowledge of the hairs of your head, the words you're going to say, the thoughts, all your actions. He knows all things that happen in the creation and also the future. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Now, I just took that one verse. I had a graduate student once at uh, Trinity Divinity School who went through and tried to make a list of all the times in the Bible where God knew something ahead of time. Before it happened, he got over 2,000 verses in the Bible where God knew the future, knew future events before they were going to happen. <clears throat> so he knows all the things that are actual, but even all things that are going to be actual. So to know every detail of every single thing in the universe at the present time is something beyond our comprehension. You remember we talked about the size of the universe? The sun is as big as a million Earths, and the sun is just one star, and there are 400 billion stars in the Milky Way, and was it 100 or 150 billion galaxies? The Milky Way is only one. And God knows all the details of all of that at this moment. To know all the details of every atom, every molecule in this room is beyond any human being's ability. Um, and to know it all in the whole universe at this moment is something just far beyond our comprehension. And to know it for every single moment of past history is millions, billions of times greater than just to know it for every, just for the present time. And then to know everything, every detail of everything in the universe for the future, with a future that will never end. How? How? How can God know all of that? It's billions upon billions of times greater than that. This is knowledge beyond our ability to understand. 
and God knows all this in one simple and eternal act. That is, this, this idea, if God's knowledge is really infinite, then he knows it all at once, all the time. He doesn't have to ponder carefully before he knows something or reason to a conclusion or count things quickly. If you ask God how many grains of sand on the seashore, he wouldn't have to say, just a minute, I'll count them uh, really fast. Uh, but he just he always knows, and I suppose in a computer analogy, it's uh, it's uh, in his is uh, random access memory. Is that what it is? It's RAM. It's it's what's always right there present. You don't have to open another file. It's what the computer is working on at that moment. And for God, all of His knowledge is continually present in His memory, and He always knows all things. All all things are always present in His consciousness, and it's eternal knowledge. He's always known these things. If we say he knows everything. That means he doesn't learn new things. His knowledge, he's always known all these things for all eternity. Oh, my goodness. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, says the Lord, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. His knowledge is just beyond anything that we can comprehend. But there's more. And it comes from thinking about the fact that God also knows what he could have done but didn't do. That is, God knows all possible things, things that might have happened but did not happen. There are a couple of instances of this in the Bible. We have uh, David is fleeing from King Saul. And David and his men have just rescued the city of Kyla from some enemies, and he thinks, oh, man, this, this city is going to like me. They're going to protect me. They're my friends. But David is not quite sure. So he's praying to God, and he says, will the men of Kyla surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Oh, Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said to David, he will come down. In other words, Saul's going to come here and get you. And then David said, will the men of Kyla surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. They may be smiling right now, but don't trust them because uh, Saul is king. And uh, when Saul comes, they're going to give you into Saul's hand. So David and his men, who were about 600, rose and departed from Kila, and they went wherever they could go. And when Saul was told that David had escaped from Kila, he gave up the expedition. So God knew what would have happened if David had stayed but then David left, because God showed him that, and so it didn't happen. Interesting. There's another example. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works had been uh, mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes, Jesus said. So he knows what would have happened uh, in Tyre and Sidon, but didn't. So those are verses that give us a hint that God knows if circumstances were different, then how would things turn out? And so I think um, God knows things possible. And here's another way of reasoning to that. Since God knows himself fully, he also knows everything that he is able to do. You know something of that yourself, don't you? Um, Garth. You, Garth asked me if there was a handout this morning. He knows that he is able to go to the photocopy machine and make a number of handouts for everybody, come back and hand them out. That's just because he's done it before. Uh, George, anything that I need to fix in my house and have a question about, George is, <laughs> George is able to fix because he's owned a couple, 
two, three hardware stores, and he's answered every question in the world about, or I don't know how many hardware stores. Uh, but he, but uh, George knows what he's able to do. You give him something, you have to put it together, fix it. Yeah, I can do that. So you know, you know something of your own ability, um, and um, um, you know what you can cook, you know what you can uh, paint, you know what you can, you know, you can go home and write a letter, or you can balance a check, you know your ability, all right? You can visualize things that you can do. Go and balance your checkbook. Mike knows he can pilot an airplane. I hope. <laughs> oh, yeah, always. <laughs> no problem. He's, um, so, uh, so with us, we get some sense of what we're able to do and sometimes say, well, you know, I could go do, some, do an errand this afternoon, but I won't. So you have, all right? So with God, it's even more developed than that. He knows what he could do. He knows everything he is able to do. And I think that means he knows every other possible creation he could have made, but didn't. And every other possible creature he could have created, but didn't. And every other possible thing that could have happened in each of those creations. That is, I, I think of this when I go to an aquarium or a zoo. Do you ever see all those fish swimming around an aquarium? You get the yellow ones, and then you get the yellow ones with the black stripes that go this way. Well, God could have made it with the black stripes going this way if he wanted. And zebras, I guess zebra stripes go around them, right? But he could have made zebras with stripes going the other way, I suppose. Um, and uh, all those strange sea creatures, he could. I mean, I think he made those incredible varieties of sea creatures with different fins and different tentacles and different shapes and different colors just to say, hey, look at all the things I could have done. I could have done thousands more like this, too, uh, if I had wanted to, of different kinds and different sorts and different shapes and sizes. And um, Now, if God knows all things actual, past, present, and future that, that have happened or will happen, then you multiply that times billions of other possibilities. And he knows all that fully, too all things actual and possible in one simple and eternal act. That is what we call omniscience. God knows, fully knows himself, though he's infinite and we'll never be able to know him. He fully knows himself and all things actual and possible in one simple and eternal act. I think we have to say with Paul, oh, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might re be repaid? And the answer is, of course, no one. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Questions? How do you feel about God's knowledge? When you think about God knowing everything in absolute detail, what, what do you... Yeah? Okay. Makes, yeah? Okay. Yeah, it does boggle your mind. And... It should have a sense, I think it gives a sense of awe and probably adoration and love. Yeah. Ed.
Okay, it's Ed. Yeah, that, Ed, you said the two things that I had in mind here. There's fear, but then the second response is security and safety. Um, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. This is Psalm 139. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. It's frightening at first. Wait a minute. God knows every, 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 every single thing about me. That's our first response. Oh, I'm undone. But then, wait a minute, he still cares for me as his father. He's still forgiven me through Christ. Then I think, isn't there a security in that? Isn't there a safety in that? Isn't, don't try to have to try to hide anything from God. Um, and, uh, and there is something about being known and accepted in a relationship. That it, that really gives security. We even know that in human relationships, doesn't? That if if someone knows you real well and still accepts you, and loves you, then there's a security in it. And so, uh, being known uh, by God completely, and yet He cares for us. There's there's security in that. Wanda. Okay. When you have these things about Moses and the and God puts you in a place where it might be frightening at first, but then, there, then, then, then you're safe, and and that gives you a greater sense of security. Right. He knew how afraid you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't say Moses was scared. Mm-hmm. It says that people saw the Lord in God. Mm-hmm. So similarly here with God knowing us, uh, it, I think there's a security in that too. Mm-hmm. That comes out of. Saying, oh, I would be frightened, but no, I don't think I'm going to be frightened. Okay. What is the spiritual benefit to our lives uh, that comes from thinking about God's knowledge? Is there a benefit to us? And we've already gone there a little bit. But... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the one thing that really shocks me and I'm very glad is that if God knew everything from the beginning, going to get to wisdom today. We're going to have to go to wisdom next time. God's wisdom. Um, Gunter? Yeah, when you're talking about facing God in the end. Yeah. Uh, we're not the only ones facing him. What's that? We're not the only ones facing him. 
Ah, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> facing him without forgiveness through Christ would be a very frightening thing. Yeah. Then there will be justice and judgment. Okay. If you happen to be here and you're new and you don't know for sure if you are safe with God, if you don't know for sure that your sins are forgiven, and if the idea of seeing God at judgment is frightening, then there's only one escape from that, and that is trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sins. And uh, anybody else here, I or anyone else here, would be would love to talk with you afterward if that's true of you. Let's uh, let's stand and sing this. Thou art worthy. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, we give you thanks. We thank you for these truths from your Word. Thank you that you are infinite in knowledge. You're perfect in knowledge. We thank you that you dwell in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. And yet in some way, you will enable us on that future day to see your face. And we long for that time, Lord, when we will see you face to face and you will dwell with us as our God and our Father. And we will be your people and we will be in your presence forever. We thank you for that. Amen. See you next week.